word why. What a curious word. The kind of word that can make us cringe, feel defensive, or even distant. But you know, sometimes why is the key. A key that can unlock so much to our lives. Join me as we explore the why with fascinating contributors to the world. Those that entertain us, inform us, teach us about life, and if we're lucky, inspire the next in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and welcome to Headroom, a production of Rainlight and co-produced by Old Soul. Let's go. Well, uh, I will tell you this. Um, again, I'm a lucky guy. I always talk about stories travel, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation because we're going to go in a number of different directions. Some I've thought about and some I'm actually really excited to discover in conversation uh, with my guest today, Carl Lyapunov. He is the head of energy at the Startup Lab in, in Norway. Um, and Carl and I met months ago, um, got a chance to sit down with him. And if, for those of you that are watching this on YouTube, you're going to say, that's the Justin Timberlake of Norway. And I would say <laughs> you're probably correct. Um, let me give you a little background on Carl. So Carl, he grew up actually here stateside in Ridgefield, Connecticut with an American father and a Nor Norwegian mother. During his time in high school, he was an avid volleyball player, winning two state championships and finishing his last season as the player of the year. I'm not sure if your nickname was Maverick, but that would just totally add, <laughs> add to the mythology of you, Carl. Uh, upon graduating high school, he moved to Los Angeles, where he received his degree in international relations and global business at USC. He also spent time working for a number of startups. After four years in L.A., Carl moved to Houston, Texas, to join the energy tech team at Tudor, Pickering & Holt, an energy-focused investment bank. And while at TPH, Carl worked closely with companies that were developing new technologies to revolutionize the energy industry on M&A transactions and capital raising. In 2021, Carl decided to make a transformational move, literally and figuratively, um, and headed over to Oslo, uh, Norway, where he lives now. And like I said, he's the head of energy at Startup Lab. We're going to talk a little bit about that. It's an incredible uh, startup just ecosystem, and I'll have him do a much better job of describing that. Um, he continues his love of volleyball, playing on the Norwegian Beach Volleyball Tour. That sounds incredibly rough, Carl. I'm so <laughs> sorry you have to do that. And he's found a new passion for exploring Norway's natu uh, natural beauty on mountain bikes uh, and mountain biking, uh, which for anybody who's been there, that is a statement because what an incredible country. Carl, uh, we have a lot of fun sort of off-air chatting and, and, you know, getting to know each other. There, there's something about, I'm going to say, I'm going to say this, and I don't mean this in a, it, with a young professional that I think is incredibly envious for those of us that are not in, in your generation, okay? Um, because there's this, this willingness to jump into the deep end in a way that I don't believe was a part of doesn't mean we didn't have the capability to, but it really wasn't a part of sort of the ether in my generation growing up. I mean, graduating in the mid nineties, we weren't talking about being an entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. I grew up in the Detroit area and it was, you know, some of the choices were either, you know, get a liberal arts degree and, or go work for a supplier of the automotive company. Cause that's what your dad did, or maybe your mom did. Um, it wasn't about, you know what, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try to knock on doors and see sort of what's out there. And I know what I'm passionate about, the topic areas, and I'm just going to dive in and I'm going to be an entrepreneur almost by birth. Uh, hmm. 
First, as we get started here, talk a little bit about what it was like growing up with an American father and a Norwegian mother in Connecticut. And are we seeing signs of sort of that incubation for you now as an adult male that's living in Oslo? Yeah, no, first of all, thanks, Fred, for, for having me on. This is, uh, I've been following you for ever since we had our first conversation. And I think you're one of the best storytellers I've ever met. So to be a part of the podcast is, uh, is, is a real joy. Um, Norwegian father and American mother. It was, it was amazing. Um, I learned Norwegian and English simultaneously. And because of, uh, because of my mom being born and raised in Norway, it was important to her that I spoke Norwegian. My grandparents don't speak English at all. So if I didn't speak Norwegian, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't really have a relationship with them. Um, so that was really, it was a foundational and fundamental part of my childhood was no, no. You asked me that question in Norwegian, or else I'm not going to respond. That was kind of how I how I learned Norwegian, and it, it was it was amazing. It was in the beginning. I'm sure she got some some. Uh, uh, she definitely didn't have the easiest time, but I think when it started to click and people around me thought it was cool, I was like, oh, okay, wait a minute. It's kind of, it's kind of exciting. It's kind of different to be able to speak two languages. So. Um, I've always loved visiting Norway. I would come to Norway every summer, two days after school ended. And then two days before school started again, we were oh, in, wow. we were in Norway. Um, so we'd pick up and go right away. And in the beginning, it was hard because as a child and as a kid, you want to be home. You want to be with your, your friends and going to summer camp and all that stuff. Um, but then as I got older, I really started to appreciate what the, the experience I was getting. Um, and I think that that may have been those early forming years of um, having an uncle who brought me out on camping trips, multiple day camping trips. And we were kind of, you know, you're away from electricity, you're away from, you're just out there. I think that mindset kind of built up both a level of um, ambition and, you know, through like adrenaline junkie kind of thing where I was like, oh, I, I want to be out there. I want to take these risks. I like, I like being a little different. Um, that may have been the impetus for, and the courage, what kind of gave me the courage to make the jump over here uh, 20 years later. How do you describe um, the change, the difference in culture, Carl, when we think about the shift? Cause you, obviously you sort of had this sort of slow drip, you know, every summer going mm -hmm. over there and starting to probably see the cultures overlap a little bit here and there. But for someone who hasn't been there, what's the biggest sort of culture shock to an American maybe going to Oslo? It's funny. I, it's a question I've gotten a million times, and I think my answer changes every time because the more <laughs> I still, the longer I stay here, the more I realize I thought I knew the culture and I didn't, but I'm learning a lot and I become more and more Norwegian by the day. Um, and now, actually, when you hear me pause, it's because I have the Norwegian word in my head. I was like, oh yeah, I'm trying to say this, but I've actually forgotten what the English word is. So first time in my life, this has started to happen where I talk to myself in Norwegian and I dream in Norwegian. So it, that's really, a, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's been a, so you come across a as a guy with great poise. It's like Carl never just <laughs> throws something out there. He's always calm. There's a pregnant yeah, pause built into every conversation. Yeah. Uh, it's because I'm, I'm sitting here saying, I know what that word is in Norwegian. What the heck is it in English? <laughs> no, so that that's, that's been a new one. Um, but culturally, I think Norway is a, is a beautiful place and it's, but it's also a very privileged place. It's, it, it's an extremely wealthy country uh, with only 5 million people. And so I think there's- People don't know that by the way. That, I don't think Carl, that people know that at least in America, that is a shock to them. 
Yeah, no, it, it's a mind-blowingly rich country uh, from a from a kind of public perspective, per capita GDP, and I mean Norway is the seventh largest uh, producer of oil and gas, and so there's a there's a long history with the energy industry there that has made it very wealthy, and and Norway has been really good and skillful at managing that money and turning it into uh, they've had, they have the largest at least they used to it may it may be surpassed now but it's a, one of the largest sovereign wealth funds in the world that um in a lot of ways helps finance the the welfare system and the high high quality of life that Norwegians have and so culturally how i think that plays out is there there is a level of uh, um relaxation and take your time mentality here that may or may not be afforded everyone in, in, in the U.S. Um, in the U.S., there is a let's go get it. I'm going to be ambitious. I'm going to. That's one side of the the spectrum. The other is you have a situation with a lot of a lot of people in the U.S. that, that are ambitious by necessity. Whereas in Norway, people study a lot longer. You 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 kind of you spend your time and and you take your time in school. You um, take those extra two years to take your free masters or because it's what you want and you want to kind of explore and then you take a gap year. And again, it comes from a, in my opinion, a privileged position because it, it you're, you're afforded those, uh, you're afforded that level of leisure and afforded that level of flexibility because it's a country that doesn't have a lot of people, but has also again, been very good at taking care of the money it's made. Um, and so that it leads to a level of balance in your life. That is, is um, there isn't that kind of, rat race mentality that I think oftentimes in the US you can kind of fall victim to, but it also leads to amazing innovation. So it's hard for me to answer the question without sounding biased one way or the other, because yeah. I really now have, I've learned the pros and cons of each and I'm, I'm still figuring out which one I prefer, but it's, um, it's a really nice balance of, okay, I'm going to take time and spend time with my family. So I'm then, going to work like a crazy person. Yeah. So, okay. So let's walk the audience. So you would share with me off air. So I'd love you to sort of share the story. So you decide that you're going to move to Oslo, right? You're, you've, you're yeah. leaving Houston. You're going to, you're going to head back to your mother's homeland and you decide to go up to the startup lab. So in this, I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about the startup lab, sort of how many companies there, yeah. some of the success metrics. Um, but what I think is fascinating, and it's I've been there physically, so I, I'm thinking about sort of getting out of the Uber and and walking right into this sort of, you know, the the horseshoe kind of opening there, and and seeing all the glass. And you literally said to me, you knew no one, and you went and knocked on the door and basically said, "I'm here. <laughs> what can I do?" Which I think is, you know, we see that in Hollywood, and and it's like, oh, that's so nice. It doesn't really work that way in in the real world, but it does sometimes. So kind of talk me through that. I mean, I think you can get excited as a younger professional. You get on the airplane. I'm doing this. I, years ago, I made that decision to move to LA. And it was like the, the excitement you have in the buildup before you go out there. And then there's the reality when you're on I-40 for like hours and what feels like days, just heading west, young man, right? Uh, talk mm -hmm. a little bit about the travel and then literally walking up to that door and knocking, uh, not knowing if you'd be rejected. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, so I, I was, I were, I was in Houston, as you mentioned. Um, and I kind of told amazing team there and I learned an incredible amount, but it was just ready for something else. Um, and was kind of 
I knew I wanted to work in energy. I'd really gotten the energy bug from being in Texas. And I, I had some startup experience when I was uh, in, in school and, and knew that I really liked the dynamism and speed of early stage companies. So energy, climate tech, and startups, that was kind of what I knew I wanted to do next. And I was ready to leave Texas. So I kind of looked around the world, basically. I was like, where, where do I want to go? And in the back of my mind, I'd always been nagging, like, you, you've always wanted to spend time in Norway. You've always wanted to kind of see what that's like to actually live there. And so it kind of hit me that this is, if I don't do this now, there, it's only going to be harder. If I don't make this move now at 24, I think it was, at 24, why not? Uh, it's only going to become more difficult because you don't have any real responsibilities holding you down. So I quit my job in, in June or July of 2021 and, and bought a one-way flight to Norway and just told myself, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to give myself until December. And I knew where I wanted to end up. I knew I had done research on the ecosystem. I knew that, you know, Startup Lab and there were a couple other players that were, were, were kind of touched on energy and startups. But I didn't, I didn't, I'd been to Oslo twice before I came and once was at the airport. And so I did, I had no, no network here. And it was, it was definitely scary. And talking about it now out loud, thinking back on what I was actually doing, <laughs> it, I, it was, it was tough or it was, it's kind of daunting. Um, Ignorance yeah, is so bliss, I, right? Yeah. No matter what really, country you're in. It really was. It really is. So I, I jumped on that one-way flight and ended up uh, on an air mattress on the floor in an empty apartment and was kind of like, okay, I'm going to figure out, I'm going to have a job and I'm going to have an apartment in a month. Like that's because that's how long I was able to, I was allowed to stay at that one place that I had, I had gotten. Um, and month goes by pretty quick. It was, uh, and it was a little naive to think I was going to get both of those done. So I ended up calling my cousin and I was like, Hey, hey I'm going to be, you know, out of a place to live in 48 hours. Can I sleep on your couch? And he was like, yeah, okay, sure. Sounds good. So I ended up being outside of Oslo for about three weeks while I was going through interview processes and trying to send emails and trying to figure out, you know, where is Startup Lab? And eventually what I, I ended up doing is I kind of, I found someone that I knew um, that, you know, worked at Startup or like through a network. Yeah, my friend kind of, or someone I grew up with works there. You should just go, you know, knock on the door and talk to him. And I was like, okay. Uh, that's you know that's kind of where I am. That's what I'll do. I, so I took a new. I jumped on the train, showed up to Startup Lab. Couldn't really find the entrance at first. So I was like, okay, what am I doing? And I also that was the other funny part. I showed up in a full suit and tie. So, you know, <laughs> yes, you coming did. from an, yeah. <laughs> the American has arrived. <laughs> exactly coming from investment banking and and being American. I was a full suit and tie. And now I look back on it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is you. I mean, you've been here. You see people walk around in t-shirts and shorts. And, and so I can't even imagine what they were thinking when they saw this, this guy who's like, yeah, I'm an American, but I speak Norwegian and I'm in a suit and tie and I want a job here. It's like, what the hell? I don't, I don't know how they would come react, back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So that's basically what happened is that I come in, I knocked on the door and I met with Gisla, um, who is the kind of lead of our venture, the ventures team here. And I was just like, hey, I listen, I, I'm super interested in startups. I really want to work with uh, investing in them and helping startups, especially on the energy side of things. And I think um, knowing, knowing them as well as I do now, I think they probably saw, um, they appreciated the level of ambition. And, you know, in, that's kind of something we try to foster here in Startup Lab is that think, 
think ambitious, think big, run fast. Um, and so they probably appreciated a little bit of that, but there was also a huge stroke of luck in the sense that they had a, they had a position that was, um, kind of out and it was a business developer thing, but it wasn't really, it didn't really fit my resume, but I applied anyway. And I was like, Hey, I, I want to be a part of this. I think what you're doing is amazing. Um, and I just want to, I want to join the team. And I went through about four interview processes and they're all kind of like, <laughs> they all started with like, who, who are you? How are you here? What, what is happening and why are you in a suit? And I think by the end I dropped the tie, but I was still wearing a suit in my final interview. Um, and I think after four rounds or something, they were like, well, listen, we want, we want you, we don't know exactly what you're going to do at first, but we want you, we want you on the team. And I, I mean, I couldn't have been happier and I couldn't have been luckier to end up at such an amazing place. And just for, for the viewers, this is not a green screen in the back. This is what, this is what the actual oh, it's incubator real. looks like. It's real. You've been here. And so it's an awesome space. Uh, it is, it is a really, really amazing place. I knew I kind of done my research before I came and knew that it was, you know, the, the, the top incubator in Norway and they had built some really successful or helped, helped a lot of successful companies, but it didn't really sink in until I actually got to kind of know the nuts and bolts of startup Lab, how, how, um, how skillful and how great the people who have built this place up and the people who have worked here before me, how great of a job they've done. Talk uh, about how many companies are there and sort of the, I was amazed by the number of, of, uh, startups that apply to be a part of startup lab and just, I mean, it is not, this is not a sort of open the door to everyone <laughs> approach. at no, all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it is a, um, so the incubator itself, we have one here in Oslo and then we have one in Bergen, which is the kind of the second city in Norway. Um, and in Oslo, there are about a hundred companies here at any one point. Um, and, but we get, we get about 600 applications a year and we take in less than 10% of those. So it's a really, it's a, um, it's a selective, it's a highly selective program. And, and part of that is because we work, we only work with Norwegian companies and the ones that we do work with. Um, they have to be tech focused. They have to have some sort of scalable technology. It doesn't it can be hardware, it can be software, but it has to be some sort of, you know, technically advanced um, stuff they're working on. And they have to have international ambitions. So the companies that come in can't necessarily just be focused on Norway as their market, but they want to have they have to have this kind of we're going after the world mentality. Um, and then and then it's again after that there's a, there's a, an interview process and it's highly selected to try to get in. Um, but once you're in, you're, you get access to the amazing network that Startup Lab has um, from the investor side of things, from the corporate partner side of things, the government uh, entities that we work with, students and universities and recruiting. Um, so Startup Lab is an incubator to the physical space behind us, but we also have a venture capital team um, that invests in about one out of the four companies that come in. So the, the stage that they're in, we call it pre-seed, but the, the companies that are here, when they apply, when they move in, there are about three, maybe two, three employees. So it's really early stage, but they've gotten past like a PowerPoint. They're, they're beyond the idea phase. Um, and the largest office we have is, is about 12, 25, give or take. But we had a company that squeezed 40 people in there. So it, you know, they, they, they use their resources well. Um, so that's kind of the range of size of company. Um, and the fun part of, of it is that on average, one company moves in and one company moves out every week. So we have a turnover every of about week. 50 every week. Yeah. 
on average. Sometimes it's three a month. Sometimes it's three a month. Other times it's ten. But the the idea is it's one a week because we want them to move out quickly. We want them to come in. You've got three four employees. You go you know off in the next twelve months. You you're on a rocket ship, and we want to help them grow as fast is as possible. Is that the average stay get, twelve months? Twelve months is on the shorter end. It's probably twelve to thirty six is typically where where they fall. Um, again, and some extremes on either end. Some grow really fast and are only here for a little stint. Others take a couple of years to figure out what they're, you know, they pivoted once and they, they figured out, okay, this is actually where, where we want to spend time. Um, and so we've had about 450 companies come through the incubator. Um, 70% of those are still active today, which is just really defies all these startup numbers you see out there. Usually the, the kind of the go-to is that one out of 10 startups survive. Um, and to have 70% of the, the companies come out of Startup Lab still be active today is, is a number we're, we're pretty proud of. Um, and again, these aren't Startup Lab made companies. These aren't Startup Lab, yeah. um, but we we're, we help them along their journey. These are founders that are super talented and, and no end, um, but use us to however, however they need, whether it's fundraising or it's recruiting, we try to be a kind of Swiss army knife for them. Headroom is produced by Old Soul, a one-stop marketing agency that understands the power of brand and nuance. Reach out to my guy, Matt, at Old Soul and supercharge your brand and content strategy. That's Old Soul. Shoot Matt a note at aoldsoul.com. That's A-O-L-D-S-O-U-L.com. And now, back to our guest. One big difference, and correct me if I'm wrong in this, my perception may be wrong. But the one thing that I noticed when I was there um, and, and speaking with different people there to include Rolf, who, you know, one of the founders of Startup Lab, if you want, you can talk a little bit about him and his previous success. Mm. But I have experienced startups that have been a part of incubators in different parts of the world where the incubator, if I'm a cynic, was more about the organizers than it truly was about the startups. It was almost like a vehicle to create a pipeline for them. And so it was operated in that manner. And so you kind of got a lot of mixed reviews from the startup folks that was sort of like, well, we did it because we felt like we needed to do it. But then we lost our backside on percentage of ownership and we kind of lost our idea along the way. You, startup life feels very, very different. I don't want to be naive uh, at all, but that is a healthy ecosystem. It's sort of like you have sort of all the parts and pieces there to thrive regardless of sort of the gale force winds that might be outside. And that feels different. Am I wrong or am I reading this correctly? Yeah, you're, I mean, it's it's great to hear you say that because that is um, that is absolutely the goal of Startup Lab is that we have a we have a motto that is basically, I mean, it's almost required to get it tattooed on your forehead when you walk in, but it's founders first is is literally the every decision we make. And to to be to be frank, when I moved in or when I started, I was like, okay, yeah, sure, everybody's everyone says that. You know, we're here for the founders, we're here for where you know that's that's what all startup ecosystems say, um, and after three weeks of, of working here, it's like, oh, okay, no, no, this is something we live and we breathe, and you know, it it, it shows through. There's been plenty of examples of financial opportunities that startup Lab has had that may have not would not have been in the best interest of the startup that we have said absolutely not. We're not going to get involved. That's not you know that's not in the best interest of the founders. That's not for us. And that kind of goes back to the the impetus that why Startup Lab was founded. 
the Norwegian ecosystem is relatively young uh, comparatively to, especially, I mean, in the Nordics, but especially globally. Startup was founded in 2012. And at that time, there wasn't a lot of, um, there was, there was very little early stage financing to be found for startups, but kind of, but being a founder in Norway was, was in, in a sense looked down upon. It was uh, if you ask the people who started started startup lab like Rolf included when he was a founder, you would get the you know response from from everybody else it's like you're a founder like why, why don't you get a real job? And is that it, is that culturally being risk averse it, because you want something that's risk, tried and true that's a legacy opportunity? Yeah, I, I think there's a, there's an absolute risk aversion, um, and there's also a. Um, Norway was built on heavy industry, built on corporate, built on, you know, natural resources. The the oil boom of the 70s made Norway what it is today. And it created a lot of companies that it, it's a much more traditional, um, historically thinking country that um, has led to amazing developments and a, you know, collective mentality that is making it the great society it is. But it, it, is not historically a culture that fosters or encouraged um, kind of innovation and founders, which has dramatically changed. It's it's definitely that play that way now. But that was again the the reason for starting Startup Lab was the founders like Rolf, who is one of my absolute mentors in life now, and I look up to him like I, I mean I could we could do all you could do a whole session on him, but. They started Startup Lab to make it easier for people to start companies in Norway. The, the only reason was to, we want to encourage people to start companies. We want to encourage innovation and we want to make it founder friendly. Um, and so when we invest in companies, we invest on very founder friendly terms. We have a, the incubator itself is a nonprofit. So we don't, we basically break even on, on uh, the incubator itself. We, so it's financed largely by corporate partners that uh, like the 30 largest give or take companies in Norway are corporate partners of Startup Lab and they their membership uh, helps finance the, the the incubator. And even even there, there, there are corporate partners that we've said no to that you you're, you can't be a member of Startup Lab because their their incentive or their reasoning behind being wanting to be a member is to sell to the startups. And that's not in their best, in the founder's best interest. So Startup Lab, while in my tenure here has said no to people or has said no to income, top line income as sponsorship, because it's not necessarily in the founder's best interest. So again, great to hear you say, and that you got that feeling. And then that's because that is really, um, and that's, what's made it so successful. In my opinion, I think that that's what we have. If you ask the people that have been through here, they come back and they love to spend time here. They want to get back to the ecosystem. Um, they want to, encourage other founders and they speak about startup lab positively because we we want to be friends we want to be we want to be you know the people you call when you're having a hard time it's not just the ones that you call when yeah yeah let's pivot um i want to pivot to energy because it has stuck with me since i've been there um and, and and across the nordics but especially um in oslo is the dedication what feels like at every level of society to supporting a healthier planet Earth, if I can sort of put a very broad stroke sort of statement here. Um, talk a little bit about the, the energy space in Oslo, um, but 
if you don't mind kind of giving that, giving some color to what I'm talking about, like here in the U.S., if people are talking about climate change or whatever it has to do with uh, sustainability, let's say, you know, uh, water insecurity, all these sorts of things, it's because you've gone to a talk or you decided to seek out an article. It's not just something that you talk about at the bus stop or the soccer game or at a cocktail party, but there you do. Um, mm-hmm. That's what was my experience. And, and in that, I think there's one great irony that I think we would struggle with here. Maybe I'm wrong. So I'll say that I'll take ownership of this opinion or perspective is that you're sitting on all the, all that oil, right? <laughs> and so there's this great irony that there's this nation that is the seventh largest producer. And yet you are, I would say the front runner in energy science and technology. Uh, yet you're sitting on, you know, this wealth of oil where you, I guess you could choose not to be so progressive. And so how do you, how do you square that as a society? And is, does that, does it look hypocritical? Does it aid in sort of the conversation and the argument for why? Give us sort of the state of the union for those that aren't really aware of the role climate, sustainability, and health uh, have on the culture there. Mm. Uh, it's a, it is a bear of a question um, because it has so many, you can have so many different views on it and opinions on it. And I think without a doubt, it looks hypocritical. Like there's, and in a sense it, it is um, because, but again, even, even saying that it's like in a time, like in 2023, Russia pulls out of, of delivering gas to Europe, causing a huge energy security problem because of that Norway steps up and is now the largest producer and uh, deliverer of energy to all of Europe. And so, and that's on, that's on the gas side. And so from an energy security perspective, it's like, okay, well, if you didn't have, if you didn't have these, you didn't have the the natural resources and the oil and gas production that Norway has, Europe would be in a really tough spot right now. You'd have energy prices that are, I mean, you, you wouldn't have it. You'd have blackouts in, in, in Europe and it would be, it would be really bad. Um, and it's also led to, um, I think the, the there's a there's a hypocriticalness and there's but it's also led to a sense of acknowledgement and responsibility in the culture yeah. that the people people own it uh, and internally in Norway there's hot debates as to whether we should turn off oil and gas right away whether we should keep so that is an know, actual argument that people will make that oh yeah oh yeah they're, they're politi- turn it off there are political parties that want to turn off oil and gas like tomorrow at least in in, in rhetoric. Um, and then, so that, that is absolutely a debate here in the country, but what be, but there is also an acknowledgement across the board that it's led to the society that we have, and it's led to the privileges that we have, um, in, in large part, there are other things as well, shipping industry, salmon, you know, these are all big, big industries in Norway. Um, but oil and gas and energy has been historically what, what put Norway on the, the kind of the global, as a global leader. Um, but there is such an ownership of that that, and I think that's what you're talking about that you felt that people understand we we have a responsibility because of the money we have and because of the um, the energy the oil and gas producer we are to be as clean as possible and as forward thinking and innovative as possible 
in our home country on technology, on recycling, on use of uh, you know a carbon emission reduction as possible. So not so the domestic profile of Norway's energy usage is ninety eight percent renewable. The, the, basically, the entire country 98%. is run on renewable. Yeah, so it's from that perspective. And last month, eighty, I think it's eighty two or eighty three percent of all new cars sold were electric. And so there's a massive kind of ownership and responsibility of, okay, we understand that oil and gas is complicated. Um, it's really important right now. It's really important to maintaining civilization kind of in the short, short term. But we also know that we need to start to think differently, both from a climate perspective, but also an economic perspective. We need to diversify the industries we have. We need to think about how do we kind of, we need to build new export export industries in Norway. Um, and so that is what has caused this big revolution in Norway over the last 10 years on the climate tech and energy side of things. You have these people who have been a part of the energy industry and worked for the Equinors of the world for you know 20 years and have, are experts on offshore platforms, have seen holes in the market or have seen opportunities and renewables that are now kind of coming through the startup love doors and saying, hey, I have this idea. I've been working in energy for 20 years. Um, and you know, I want to build this product because I think because I know that this the market needs it. And I've got 20 years of experience to do it. And so that's been like a holy crap. These super experienced founders with very, very specific and targeted experience um, are coming and building energy companies that are um being developed and 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 produced that like and really inspiring rate for for me at least and that i think goes back to what you said on the culture side of things is there is a feeling of a collective responsibility to transition there's a collective responsibility to be pioneers to be trailblazers because it's an amazing test bed it's a small country with a lot of money that can try new things that can afford to be risk takers but also you know there's a cultural connection to nature here in Norway that's i'm i'm still you know it's been so it's been contagious for me and it's been one of the more um fulfilling parts of my journey here is i mean when you when anyone thinks about norway they think about you know oh, it's fjords and it's amazing and the mountains and, and and that's with good reason i mean it is with good reason because the stuff is stunning and it's beautiful and i think growing up i, I got to taste it and I got to see it during the summer and it, you kind of get that jaw dropping feeling, but living in it and having it be a part of your everyday, you learn to just have a different appreciation for it and how important it is and how nurturing it is to live around. And the idea of risking that because of climate change and because of um, poor energy management, it, it there's a kind of inherent urgency that we can't we can't we have to protect this and that's a part that's a definite part of the equation as well let's talk about the the reaction of of the rest of the planet on what is being what is going on um in the energy space in norway given the culture that i can speak to in mm -hmm. my experiences not just in in oslo but also in stockholm and around the nordics um i'm wondering if it changes if we think about the skill set or the skill sets that might be needed for an entrepreneur entering into startup lab um, mm. as sort of a backdrop. When we think of startups and entrepreneurs in America, you know, it's that, you know, maybe 
you want to be very public facing and be really good at communicating and you're, you're, you might go on the edge and sort of state uh, abilities that you may not have yet, uh, but you're incredibly confident. And yet the culture there that my experience is, it's a little bit more reserved, you, you know, not really big about shining a light, right? This is not about personal brand as it might be where I reside, right? And so I'm, but I'm wondering as more and more things are achieved there, do we think that that will start to influence the next generation, even younger than you and your colleagues there in the types of talents that will be required, not just sort of a nice to have, but will be required to operate in a global economy because you can't just sort of say, yeah, but culturally we don't like to shine a light because at some point <laughs> America is going to need the innovation um, that is coming out of Oslo to support our way of life as well. And we kind of need maybe to sort of step up and embrace the light that we'd like to shine your way. Talk a little bit about your perspective on skill sets and how that may change over time. And those watching, you can just see Carl's look on his face. <laughs> well, I'm smiling because it's like you, this is why you're a professional. I mean, you, you, that is a uh, to the core question um, that it's, uh, Without a doubt, it's in the Norwegian culture to be more humble, more, uh, there's actually a word for it. It's called Janteloven, which is basically a um, the idea that everyone's equal uh, and it, and both kind of, we, we, we take care of everyone. We have a society that is, you know, it's amazing healthcare system because of this. And, and you know, there are absolute pros. Um, but the, the flip side of the coin is that it, it can sometimes um, in the startup world specifically, it can make you feel a little bit, you know, oh, I can't, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't promise more than I have. And, you know, uh, I, I, I should wait a little bit longer until my tech is ready because, you know, I don't want to over promise and under deliver. And again, these are all very good sentiments to have, but in Norway, sometimes it can be, again, this is my opinion and coming from an American perspective and background. Um, and having seen the opposite end of the spectrum, where I, I know that people over wildly overpromise and oftentimes underdeliver, um, there's an absolute balance and a, a kind of waiting that needs to happen. Where you, the founders who are building these amazing technologies, I'm, I try. I, part of my frustration or my inspiration is like, hey, this is amazing. I want to. I want you to talk about this. I want you to be proud of this. I want you to stand on stage and yell from the mountaintop that this is what you're doing. Um, because I think, I think it's so incredible. And, and so that is, and whether or not that cultural change happens in the next generation, I think it's a necessity. Uh, I think it has to happen because I, I, I do think that there's a, uh, like you said, a, a need for this technology to get out. There's a need for Norway to take this pole position and just to kind of say that and do that and say, Hey, this is, you know, this is sustainability valley. This is where things are going to, to happen on the clean tech side of things. Requires a level of bravery to go out and, and say that. It requires a level of um, you know vulnerability as well to, to go out and 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 say that this is this is where where things are happening. And that's not inherently in the traditional Norwegian mindset. And again, it's very different here. It's very the founders, people who are starting these companies are much more outward going. They are amazing. Some of I mean, again, there's exceptions to all these rules and all they are incredibly talented on stage. But if you compare it culturally 
and kind of an ecosystem, you know, let's drill it down to more startups. You compare those two, the US versus Norway, there's absolutely a more reservedness. There's more of a um, hesitancy to overpromise, which in my opinion needs to get turned down because they need to, I mean, when you're a founder and you're my investor and I'm pitching to you, I'm, I need you to be convinced about the idea, how, how this is going to look in five years. I need you to buy in, especially in the earliest stages that, hey, I'm, this is going to be worth a billion dollars in 10 years. You got to jump aboard. And that's far from what I have today. So a big part of the founder and CEO job is to be able to convince you and sell you on the fact that this is, this is worth investing in because I'm going to be able to, over time, build something that's super valuable. It's not there yet, but, I have, but it's going to get there. And that is something that Americans are really good at. Um, and it's, it's inherent in the U.S. culture, in the American culture. And it's something that comes more difficultly, difficultly to, to Norwegians, to the Norwegian culture. It's a little bit more, um, you know, safe. But because of that, when you work with Norwegian companies, you know you're going to get, you are going to get what you promised. And that's been the beautiful side of it is that they, they deliver. They, they won't overpromise and underdeliver. You're going to get what you, you kind of agreed to. That's a great point and a great close on on that um, because it is. I mean, it's not just – we have to advance in more of a comprehensive way to understand the benefits of what we've been building over time and the legacies and how that's impacted mm-hmm. um, our development uh, while we take in new information. Let's talk about – because I think you are uniquely positioned as the head of energy at Startup Lab. Let's talk about advice that you might have for entrepreneurs. Maybe it is uh, entrepreneurs that are in Houston or L.A. or – or in uh, Ridgefield, Connecticut. But when we think about skill sets and you think about how your skills have translated in another culture, because I love that when you talked about earlier, the startup lab, one of the things you have to do is you have to have an international approach and lens mm-hmm. that you look through when you're developing the products in tech and maybe in clean energy that that one is is doing. And so I want, I'm curious as to the skill sets you think entrepreneur, entrepreneurs need to have um, as they're growing and developing. I mean, you know, we have even here locally, we have a high school that has an entire program just for entrepreneurs. And I think this is only going to be, this is going to be the norm. So we're going to get younger and younger kids. I mean, my fourth grader just presented to entrepreneurs um, about an idea with his classmates. That would have never, that didn't happen in the 80s, Carl. Uh, and, And I think that that will then change you know, it's either that the market's going to change or it's going to be that the younger people are going to say, these are the things that we need more access and experience and exposure to so that we can succeed in a gig economy and an economy that's focused on climate and clean energy and tech and these sorts of mm. things. Because we've got to protect our planet. Otherwise, what in the world is the point, right? Um, yeah. So what are some skills that you think, what's advice that you have for entrepreneurs, you know, whether it's about global perspective or approaches to working with different cultures? Mm. That's a great question too. I think that um, it very it can vary a lot. You have different pro. We I mean, you will look around the the three hundred plus people that are in in the building here, um, and the type of person varies a ton. And so there's not a a cookie cutter. This is the entrepreneur. This is who an entrepreneur is. Um, you have technical backgrounds. You have salespeople. You have so I think, but if you kind of start to draw a a um, a thread between all of them is a they're all incredibly driven they are they have a work ethic that is really high they're able to push themselves 
they're able to, um, you know, they're able to motivate themselves as well. They don't need external motivation to, to accomplish what they say they're going to do. Uh, because when you're in an early stage company, you don't have, you know, and in most cases, especially as a founder, you don't have anyone sitting over you and telling you, Hey, you got to get this done. It's if you don't do it, you don't get anywhere. Um, and then I also think there is a, you have to have a level of bravery and ambition that um, forces you to be vulnerable, forces you to be confident and accepting of failure. That's absolutely something that we see here all the time is people fail all the time, but they don't fail for forever. They fail and they fail. And then they're like, okay, well, shoot, I, I figured out that this doesn't work and this doesn't work. But turns out what I had never considered is actually what everyone's thinking about. And the fact that you know, now we've pivoted to this. We know that these two don't work, but this is a gold mine. Okay, let's go after it. And so that person failed three times and was comfortable failing and being told no and get, and being rejected, but kept going. Um, and I think, you know, you can read, read on, there's entrepreneur books that'll tell you this way better than I can articulate it. But I think what Rolf has taught me too, um, what he looks for is he you have to have a level of passion about what, uh, for what you're working on. And that's one of the key things that we look for because, because we know there are going, it's going to be such a roller coaster because we know the lows are going to be so low. If you hit two of these lows and you're in it for the money, if you're in it for the big exit, that's not going to be motivating enough for you to keep going. That's not going to be, you know, you're going to kick, you're going to get kicked in the mouth twice. And if it's the idea of a payout five years from now, seven years from now is what you're, is what you're going for. It's not going to, it's not going to, you know, push you through those, through that adversity. If you're passionate about what you're working on and you have a, you know, a sense that this is an important product that needs to get made. This is an important uh, piece of technology that the world needs. And you have the, all, all the other skill sets we talked about, then you're going to be successful because then you're going to keep saying, well, ah, I know I failed this time, but you know, this is still something that needs to get made or this is still something that needs to, the world needs. And I'm, I have a personal passion for it. Then this roller coaster becomes a lot more easy to ride. Um, and those are the ones that end up making money because they're the ones who <laughs> end up being successful and are able to push through, you know, those kicks in the teeth 10 times because, well, I was passionate and you stuck with it for 10 years. And because of that, you built an amazing company, an amazing product, and you sold it for however much, however many millions and millions that the ambition is. Um, but from Ralph's perspective, it's passion. And that is, I mean, the longer I stay here, the more exposure I get to these founders, the more cases I see, it, is, it, it, it couldn't be more true. Well, you embody um, the list that you just went <laughs> down. You really do. Um, when I think oh, I about just the, the bravery of... <laughs> of crossing an ocean um, and and taking a number of risks. I mean, I, I think that I'm looking at the future CEO of an energy company, oh, uh, global energy company. I mean, you've got that talent. I think it's important to share stories of people that are pushing the envelope. It's not just about sort of the gray hairs or the legacy, you know, folks out there. It's about the generation that is on the come that can organize their thoughts, inspire people and drive new solutions. And I think you have that in spades. And it's a, this is why, you know, with the, through those four interviews, they said, no, 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 we've got to have Carl here. This is, this, this makes just too much sense. Um, I want to make sure Carl, people can learn more about you and that they can find the startup lab. If they want to sort of learn more about some of the companies there, where should they go? 
there's there's a lot you can so you can uh, startuplab.no is where our website is. Um, you can find all the information there. All our contact information is is there uh, on the team page. Uh, LinkedIn is a great way to reach out to us. Um, but the website is a great place to start if you're a founder listening um, and you want to get in touch with us. There's an application process there. If you want, if you're an energy investor or you're an investor interested in investing in climate tech, um, feel free to reach out to me because we have tons of companies that are that are interested in, especially raising money from the U.S. Getting investors from the U.S. is one of the best things that can happen to a company from here because it helps, A, break into the market, but B, also gives that kind of sense of validation that this is a, a product that you know is ready for scaling. Um, so if you're listening and you're, and you're interested in climate tech or energy, feel free to reach out to me. Um, and again, my information is on the website. So startuplab.no is where, is where you can find us. Well, this has been a treat. And so for anybody out there that's mountain biking uh, through the beauty, <laughs> the landscape that is Norway, uh, you might want to look under the helmet of the guy passing you. It's either Justin Timberlake on vacation or Carl Lyapunov <laughs> uh, thinking about the next solution oh, yeah, to support planet Earth. Uh, what a great joy to have Carl join us. Uh, I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom, where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom. <laughs>